Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I uh, This is a great episode because it's a return guest. And as always, they're a return guest. Probably because they were good. Be so weird for me to one of these days. I'm gonna like reach out to the biggest dud that I've ever had and just like give him a second shot. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but you, you know if we have a return guest that it's gonna be good. This isn't just a return guest. I think you are setting the record right now for here we are appearances. We have Michael Garfield joining us with the Future Fossils podcast. Michael and I uh, became friends in 2016, I think. I was just going through all of the, I, I went through all of my past guests lately and was emailing and getting guest suggestions for the Mind Under Matter Campout Festival, et cetera gonna have a lot of science talks wish you could make it you're you're such a responsible family man now um it's wonderful and horrible and different yes. yeah yes and uh and i was like oh my god I, I forgot how early i had you on i think you were you were in like the first six months of the show or something like that. And so fourth time back, Michael Garfield joining us. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Shane. Uh, you and I are not at all the people that we were when we met. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's pretty great that we're both flexible, adaptive creatures. I mean... There's, I'm, I'm trying to think of things that I've gotten worse with. I feel like I've, I've gone in a, a decent direction in terms of like improving on myself in ways and adapting, but I'm always, I've always been like trying on new Shane outfits to see what they, they feel like. And I just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, uh. Like, you know, I'll have a new girlfriend or something like that. That'll make an impact on my life. Or I just get involved with some new project or something. And then I just absorb into that project and it changes me somewhat. So I don't know. I I feel like you're the same. You, you play music. You make a bunch of art. I remember you're like, I'm done with painting. Never painting another thing again. I'm throwing everything away. Does anyone want this crap before I burn it all? And now you're making awesome stuff. I feel like it's even better than when you fake quit. Well, let's be fair. Okay. There's a couple <laughs> things there. One, I did, in fact, paint at concerts for like 12 years. All yeah, over yeah. the world. And right. that stopped in February 2020 before... And not because of COVID. Uh, Good timing. Yeah. Whew, thankfully. No, that was just me recognizing that I'm a father now and I've got to. Yeah. Right. But I mean, that other, that other piece of this, this 
the metamorphic piece, you know, the ship of Theseus, right? Replace <laughs> every little bit. Which which one is left? This is yeah. this is good. I mean, this is honestly why I do podcasting because you get these dips in with people, and and it, it, it's turned out to be especially important and profound when everybody got separated for a few years because there was this festival circuit mm. that I had been on and you miss everyone all the time, but you're also moving in sync with a whole bunch of lunatics and you're all hanging out together, you know, following the Buffalo of, you know, psychedelic lenticular prints and bass music or whatever the hell. And yeah. uh, then, you know, 2018, uh, I realize I'm going to have a kid and I, I start as a science communicator at the Santa Fe Institute. And now I'm here in, in Santa Fe and to your point. Yeah. I've sort of absorbed that. It's funny because I, now I, I have to wear these blue blocking glasses to be Mr. Smart guy, uh, affect, but it's like, it's, uh, not, that i don't know well i mean when we first met you didn't have future fossils did you you started it shortly after no 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 no. uh we were let's see uh, future fossils was launched in june in may of 2016 oh at moog fest we recorded the first episode uh evan snyder skytree and i recorded the first episode in january but okay at any rate this is a uh this is a trying time for people yeah. and it, I'd like to just honor that with some respect. I mean, your show is superb and the people that you bring onto the show are are great. And I think that your listeners are expecting me to say something intelligent and not just <laughs> kibitz with you here. You'll get there. You'll get there. I mean, we're catching up for six minutes in. I've, uh, it, uh, Michael, once you get going, I'm not going to be able to stop you from saying a bunch of words. I don't know. While I frantically try to Google them to try to keep up. I'm not in a rush. Do I seem like a, do I seem like a rushing around type of guy in your, in your knowing? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pretty patient person. My listeners are, are used to my vibe. So besides future fossils, what else are you doing? Because I, I know there's been a few different changes with the other outlets that, that, uh, and with the Santa Fe Institute and everything you've, we're doing are you still doing the same stuff the the last time we talked in fact the the host of complexity podcast now which continues it was recently and again in the top 10 for apple's life sciences in the u.s shows that's awesome yeah i mean it's not science it's not like you know it's a subcategory but but it's a great it's a it's a fantastic show it's really wonderful it brings me into conversation with extraordinary people. 
the latest episode we had was with Sarah Walker of Arizona State University, who is working on a way to rethink the physics of life. And she and her collaborators, including uh, Lee Cronin at the University of Glasgow, have come up with this assembly theory so that they think they can use mass spectrometry to mm -hmm. detect the signature of either uh, the compounds of or compounds like the, the, the technological, not necessarily biological, but technological signatures of alien life out there because there's a vanishingly small possibility once you get beyond like a certain number of steps in a sequence that this thing could have happened just rolling around on a windless like a windy lifeless world you know like certain molecules like you're not gonna f you find an iphone on mars and you're gonna be like mm. so there but you know mm -hmm. you it's not like you're gonna detect an iphone with a mass spec but you're gonna you can find weird puzzling things out there in space and and that theory has implications uh that get into all kinds of i mean she, she's wonderful she was a student of paul davies who has written a number of books about how the entire universe might be a single sentient being so yeah, I I like my job overall. You mm -hmm. know, uh, I get to I get to do the live tweeting for the Santa Fe Institute's complex systems seminars and colloquia and stuff. So it's good. So what's the difference between Future Fossils and the Complexity Podcast? Would you say drugs? Drugs. That's about <laughs> it. Future fossils just has more drugs on it. Well, I mean, seriously, the, the president of the Santa Fe Institute told me on the day that he appointed me the host of this podcast I had proposed in my job interview that he's like, I want the sober version of you. I, was I like, mean, okay. And that's fair. I that's get, fair because I they are that. a very prestigious reputable organization and yet i mean the the science there does the work itself you know the science there is psychedelic it's insane um right. it's not about psychedelics but it is transformative to the way that i think and to the way that anyone who uh whom our our team of science communicators can help sort of transpose these insights, you know, I'm not a math guy. Uh, and so I, in a weird way, I am forever kind of in between or, you know, I'm not, I'm not inside some of these conversations. Um, mm -hmm. I'm like outside doing the uh, Rosetta Stone thing for everyone else. Right. And so the, the impact that's had on me has been utterly transformative and it's, you know, it, I think when I was hanging out with you in 2017, we were talking about the internet as a psychedelic, like the internet functioning as a psychedelic mm -hmm. for everyone 
all at once, but at the scale of the planet. And so it's going to take much, much, much longer to come on to the trip, right? And so the question is, you know, how how long before the anxious first 45 minutes or so of this mushroom trip that is the World Wide Web scaled up, you know, from the individual human brain to the the bio slash technosphere, you know, mm-hmm. what is that going to, I mean, is, are we, are we going to be like, are we finally going to hit our stride sometime in the 22nd century? Uh, but you know, yeah. now, now as, as a parent, I'm just like, you know, squirming. I but mean, yeah. it's, it's a tough one because you have a lot of people that are uh, always going to be kind of indifferent to any new technology i am in a lot of ways depending on the domain um and especially in terms of learning how it works or whatever i'll I'll be like yeah give me like the best thing just overcharge me for whatever you convincingly tell me is the best thing to like make my microphone work or whatever give me that okay my iphone's waterproof that sounds like a terrific feature I stand up paddleboard a bunch. I don't, I couldn't tell you how an iPhone works. I have no idea. And then, but, but I, I'll take to them if it, if it, it offers to maybe make my life convenient um, or something. Yeah, it does that. It does other things you don't want it to, but it definitely does that. But I, I wonder how much there's going to be, um, like my dad still has a flip phone. There's there's going to be some people older than us that are never going to uh, uh, to take it on. But like my mom, will she for the last year or two, she just can't stop talking about the YouTubes. I saw this on the YouTubes. She's learning all these things on the YouTubes and she just can't get enough of this stuff. And they're so resistant to get them to if I'm visiting and I try to like teach them how to uh, like use Netflix or something so they don't have to uh, watch commercials and they can watch their show that they like anytime they want to. They, they'll like do it if I'm there. And then the moment I leave, they'll, they'll forget. They won't ask. And, <laughs> and so there's that, and that's going to be kind of going away, you know, as, as people are, uh, as every young person and your child is a tablet and everything else. But then there's going to be the kind of Luddites that that are like this is ruining everything and we need to go back to the basics and 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 make an intentional effort to get rid of the things that they might actually they understand phones they get phones they're familiar with them but they're they're intentionally trying to rid of themselves so the people like that that are just um not interested indifferent to it that's just going away so it's going to be I don't know. I wonder how the population will change in like 10 years or so. And, and what people we were talking before we started recording about how much I like yurts and would maybe like <laughs> to live in a yurt or have a extra uh, have a yurt to live in sometimes or something like that. And there's there's the pandemic did that, too. There was this natural appeal to like, you know what? 
if I can work remotely, I'm going to go live in a cabin in the woods. And Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so I think the last time I was on your show, we were talking about the like, cognitive biases and mm-hmm. the way that people cannot really think at the scale of the events that are unfolding now for everyone. And, and so, you know, that's just one tiny, like like that, that's one corner of this like rhombic icosahedron of thoughts on the fact that there is this acceleration going on of recombinant interactions between uh, agents in a multi-layer, you know, multi-scale. I mean, these are, I mean, the way I'm talking about this is distinctly, you know, complex systems kind of stuff. This is the stuff that I've internalized in the last three and a half years working here. Uh, but it's that everything uh, is holding this tension. So let me, let me back up a little bit. Complex system science seems to be more about understanding the upper and lower bounds or the thresholds. It's not about giving you like a clean, simple, easy answer. It's about, you know, in the, the world of like traditional sort of atomic physics, you've got uh, disorganized simplicity. Uh, and then, or organized simplicity, and then, and then, you on the other end, you've got uh, disorganized complexity, and then there's this organized complexity that exists in in the human domain, and uh, pretty much everything that we care about as people on this sphere, you know, not not the, like, I mean, I care about the stars and like looking up in space and so on. But everything happening on on this world, everything that that influences us, uh, is in this ongoing, ever evolving thing where different components are learning from each other, interacting, trying to keep up with what's going on, influencing. You know, every every time you learn something about the way that you think the world is, and it changes your behavior, and then you interact with everybody else and then you've created a different world. And so there's, in my opinion, and I I think that, you know, the, the science bears this out that we're in a weird spot right now where the amount of all of this going on has gotten to the point where the gap between our models of the world as it is and what's actually happening seem to be getting kind of wider and wider. You think uh, so? I mean, I, that's in interesting. A, I mean, I, I mean, it depends on the context. A okay. Lot. So, okay. Right. Yeah. So there's, but I say this, I say this, you know, in reference to, you know, talking about your, you know, your camp out and everything and, and, you know, wanting to get back to the roots or, or whatever in that, 
um, there are these conveniences, these economies of scale, efficiencies that happen uh, courtesy of being in, uh, participating in, in networks. Yeah. But, uh, you know, concrete example, like, you know, Facebook, you know, connecting everybody to everybody. But then it turns out that horrible things happen when you do that. Or, you know, connecting every every uh, physical location, every culture to every other culture. And so the boundaries on the one end, on the lower the lower bound is like, how little can we be connected to each other and still communicate, still interact, still benefit from one another? On the upper bound, it's uh, how much can we communicate without it completely destroying uh, any kind of ecological boundaries, like you know the the spread of zoonotic plagues, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, the rampant unregulated deployment of technological innovation that's happening fast. Like you know, you, you get these things where. Uh, misinformation spreads faster than debunking, you know, that I know that's a, a, a popular topic for you. And, and so I think we're at, a, you know, we're kind of wily coyote over the cliff now realizing that we've overshot it. And, uh, the question is how far, how, f- like, I, I don't, I don't buy into the binary of like accelerationist transhumanists, uh, Ray Kurzweil, adolescent transcendent fantasy or collapse into we're all going back to the first scene of 2001. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be a patchwork of what a science fiction author and, 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 uh, non and science nonfiction author, Annalie knew it's called, uh, in their book, scatter, adapt and remember, you know, that, that when, the tower gets too big, you know, tower of Babel falls over. There's a, there's a burst of diversification, new strategies, creativity, you know, it looks very chaotic for a while. Nobody's got a good story. Jamie Stantoni. And I I might've mentioned him actually on the last episode I did with you where Jamie Stantonian has this great essay called, uh, early modern. Was it, uh, apocalyptic cults and and he's talking about the printing press and pamphleteering and how basically social media now is an octave up the same phenomenon mm. that was happening that precipitated the 30 years war in Europe where everybody lost the plot like no one there was too much information for people to process manage categorize and you know, reality appeared to be falling apart. And so people started forming these, these conclaves, you know? And so I think we're seeing, we're seeing something like that happening. You know, the, the, uh, the, the Roe v. Wade thing, uh, is an interesting example of this where it's like, you know, the, the, you know, Kurt Vonnegut said any country larger than Denmark is a damned fool's mistake in the novel Bluebeard. And so like, it looks like the United States is, is, is running this experiment now of, of just, just how much can we really continue pretending that we're capable of regulating and responding to the pace of change at 
at the scale of a continent or a global superpower, you know, how are these things relating? Uh, and, and, and so you're going to see lots of things breaking down in different ways, but a lot of that is good, right? Because it'll be, it'll be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to start growing food in my own yard again. You know, and it turns mm. out that putting my hands in the dirt, you know, and, and huffing some petrichor is actually good for your, your gut biome and your brain and all this stuff. So I don't know. End rant. Well, it's, no, I like the rant. Um, it's. What's odd is that there is, I mean, it, pre, pre-agriculture and kind of hunter-gatherer times, I, I mean, I'm sure one group's beliefs and another group's beliefs just went off in wi- all sorts of wild ways. But I, But I'm also sure that there would have been some kind of like basic underlining uh, sort of behaviors that you would predict that there, you know, there would be some sort of higher power that that one was worse. One might think this one thing, one might think another or whatever, but there, there just wasn't that much available knowledge to know about objective reality back then outside of, um, you know, trying to assess where good hunting grounds were and figuring out seasonal change and that sort of thing. But now I feel like people can get so much information and it's even, even the disinformation is the, the stuff that drives me insane is far closer to reality than, than what, you know, some hunter gatherer would have believed or information that they would have had access to. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a certain, I I think that we still it's it's more about what we care about. And I think that humans still care about the same sort of things. We're such social animals that most people just aren't going to care about learning physics or, uh, you know, are going to have some sort of the incredulousness I have toward, um, you know, go uh, watching baseball or something, which I'll do just as a pleasantry to like amuse i'll be like huh okay the uh, the brewers just scored terrific to to as social lubricant that's sort of the same like look that i see in other people's eyes when i try to talk about biology or or, or something like that you know and so it the, there is information available and it's just some of it's about caring and then some of it's about being overwhelmed by just how much there is and just how much like my my mom just is um she's she's like three weeks past covid she didn't have um she didn't have that much uh uh it, it wasn't that that bad for her um acutely but it's been lingering um, for a few weeks and, and she's like, well, you know, I, so I'm, 
I'm going to the chiropractor every week and like he's working and giving me things and I'm like, I, I don't want to say, well, yeah, well, you just maybe don't, maybe don't go and see that guy who's on top of everything else that you're dealing with is taking money from you for a thing that, and I'm like, you know, maybe a back adjustment makes someone feel like this and that's happening. And what am I going to do? Argue with this person. And, and so I, I, I guess, I don't know. It's, I'm not sure that everything is necessarily too complex for all of us to understand, even though I get it. Like there's so many things that I'm completely indifferent to, um, that I should learn chemistry being one, for example, I won't learn it. I will not learn chemistry and I should, it's a huge gap in my knowledge. Um, but, uh, you learn it the hard yeah, way. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Through drugs. So I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time telling if, if it's just that people are just a little new to some of this stuff. I, I think, I think if you're just logging on to Facebook and seeing memes and stuff and, that might have misinformation. It's really compelling for a little while. And then I think, you know, people start getting used to the game. I know there's going to be like new games all of the time, but I think people will start seeing through some of that eventually. And maybe there'll, there'll be like better and better kind of, um, internet heuristics that people are adapting and evolving. Um, let me clarify Sure. So in 2017, I wrote this science fiction novelette called An Oral History of the End of Reality, mm-hmm. which was prompted by Adobe announcing that they had designed software that could listen to a 20 second sample of someone's voice and then clone the voice. And then you mm-hmm. could type text and get whatever you want. And of course this, you know, it's been years and the technology has advanced considerably since then. And, uh, so every day that goes by, it seems to me as though this, this prophetic rant that I penned out in 2017 is, is bearing more and more true. The problem is, one of in that in that story and i think in in fact the arms race between forgery and counterfeiting i mean between mm-hmm. forgery and counterfeit detection forensics mm-hmm. and i mean that's perhaps oversimplifying it because that's suggesting a, you know that they're uh that's suggesting a, a sort of consensus bedrock rather than a, 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 a groundlessness, which I think is, is perhaps the more accurate thing. Um, but at any rate, we, each of us as a body, represent uh, or, or uh, instantiate memory about a, an environment, an environment that was relatively stable for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And so much of your show is about this is about 
you know, reconciling the environment in which the, the evolutionary human baseline was adapted. Mm -hmm. And then this, this thing that's been going on for, you know, it depends on where you want to draw the line, but you know, uh, you might say it's been, it started when we actually became human and formed societies and that the society became an emergent agent or individual that was exerting downward causal pressure on, on all of us, you know, cause the way that we, you know, Jessica Flack at the Santa Fe Institute has, has uh, a paper, uh, has done a ton of work on this actually in, um, other primate societies where, you have to not only size up your opponent in a in a prospective fight, you have to be able to understand whether other people in the troop of macaques or whatever are going to pile on you or on them if they are watching the fight. You know, you have to know kind of, you have to be able to understand your own sort of like stock value and mm -hmm. theirs. And that's the the economics that's constantly changing. That's the model you know, you, you are constantly running a, a, a lossy biased and provisional assessment of the environment that is up, that is being updated and is updating your behavior and is changing everyone else's updates in, in the same way. And so there's, uh, you know, talk about like gene culture interaction, this kind of thing. Um, this is what got me into thinking about complex systems when I was an undergrad reading about the way that genes and culture interact in the maintenance of songbird vocal learning. But at any rate, the, there are multiple different timescales. There's the, the evolutionary timescale. There's the developmental timescale of an organism uh, and, you know, and how it actually becomes a body. And then there's, you know, there's the, the learning timescale. And if the environment is changing faster than whatever the, you are can encode can adapt then you just fly right off the back of the treadmill you know and that's what i'm talking about is is really that that um we may get to and the 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 takeaway of that story uh, a lot of people reading an oral history of the end of reality found it very unsettling found it very dark and scary to think that we were not going to be able to have a handle on what is true anymore but for me, it was a beating down of the, the fallacious insistence that we can know something mm -hmm. with total certitude and an invitation into and an injunction to enter a much more uh, rigorously and appropriately scientific humility, which is that uh, we can and must say we must act in this world. We must act on assumptions. We, you know, we have to do something. Um, but we we have to accept that we must update our beliefs about this thing, and and that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to change our our, our opinions. And so this is the um, you know the confidence interval. You know, this is the uh, Stuart Firestein actually gave a talk at SFI recently about this, about the uh, 
uncertainty is the philosophical basis for optimism because something because things can be otherwise. Firestein's an interesting guy. He he studies olfaction. He's the uh, he's the dean of biology at Columbia University in New York. But he spent 15 years on on uh, in the theater on stage in New York before he became a scientist. And so, you know, he's he's uh, very comfortable with getting like you know stuck in a spot in a weird spot you know wrote books on failure and on ignorance and and cherishes these things and i think that's what's going to change i mean this stuff makes us uncomfortable but to the degree that we are able to come out of it uh intact what will come out will be i think a a human being and a, or you know a humankind that is far far more comfortable with not knowing what the hell is going on. I yeah, I think that it has to be that way. And and it's I I think it's a I think that it's a mark of improvement in a in a society. Actually, I I think that it, because because also it's there are a lot of things that like I don't need to know how my public sewer system works. I just need to know that it's working and someone knows how it works and, and that there's uh, humans are able to specialize in all sorts of ways and, and keep on adding on to things. But I, I think that in, in terms of, yeah, I often find myself thinking about kind of embodied um, uh, cognition and, and the way in which these environmental cues can change our um, our. Uh, perception about um, uh, like existential things or our, our perception of outgroups or our willingness to travel or whatever, if we're, if we're primed to smell a rotten egg or uh, think about diseases or something like that, or, or are, are financially even um, uh, restricted and in some way and stressed and, and we become more closed, you're going, you're going to uh, ambiguity and lack of control are going to be more and more of a threat, but in country after country that has um, increased its sanitation, that's increased, uh, that that's advanced its, um, it's drinking water, things like that. Those countries become just more, open and and more you know i guess the easy way to define things is is liberal but that's that's sometimes at the end of the day just shorthand for uh more of a tolerance for ambiguity and there's there's something about that so then so then once there's more more of a tolerance for ambiguity then there's going to be like more weirdness and strangeness and people are going to be doing more more weird uh, festivals and dressing in certain ways that you aren't used to. And I think at some certain point, some of those people are just going to have to accept, like, I, I don't think they're going to, but I think that there's just going to be like, well, if you, if you want a working, clean, safe society, you have to accept that the strength that comes from that allows for the vulnerability of creativity and people being weird. not that creativity doesn't also come out of 
horrible times. But uh, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, oh yeah. Where where it's just our our default. Our, our default hunter-gatherer, like, watch out for that tribe over the hill, is just, there, there are few things more antiquated than that in a modern society. And, and that's good news. But you still see it, see it being expressed. Um, through are we in a modern and, society, though? I, I mean, mean, we're in a more modern-ish society by the context of whatever, 400 years ago or so. I, I mean, modernity, know. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Weird Studies podcast. My friends Jeff Martell and Phil Ford host this show that is an on-running virtuosic critique of the conceits of modernity, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, was it Latour? Who said? Oh God! Who was it? They said we have never actually we we we've never actually been modern. You know, th- th- this is a an idea because you know the modernism as a as a project of control. Uh, as I say, Zygmunt Bauman. I I'll, I'll link you to this essay I wrote uh, about surveillance capitalism and the effects of. Uh, living in an algorithmic society on psychology and uh, on the self and and how it it requires us to become more and more sort of metamorphic Mm -hmm. uh, in order to uh, either be seen or to be either to become legible or to become illegible. You know, we must now adapt to, again, this, this, uh, the system in which we are all embedded that knows us and preys upon us um, and and in a, and many many people, including Timothy Snyder, uh, in his essay about uh, what you know Turing and 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 the the Turing's caution, you know what Turing didn't understand about the the threats of of the the, the world of the computer. Um, we now live in a world in which we have not we we have participated in the if not the outright recreation of at least the rem- the explicit reminding of the fact that this has that the city was always wild you know that we encaps- we we built a wall you know the the ancient mm-hmm. greeks were like oh yeah there's like dryads and maenads and stuff out there it's unsafe beyond the city walls this is the human space and and then we tried to wrap that thing around the planet and in so doing uh, we got into a a Jurassic Park kind of scenario where we realized that the, the every effort we make at total knowledge and control ends up generating externalities and blind spots that undermine the project. And so Zygmunt Bauman's uh, Liquid Modernity, he talks about uh, modernity being really a dual natured thing that is at odds with itself. One on one hand, it's about agency, self-authorship, you know, improvement. Uh, those things are, I mean, actually, actually improvement and like self-transformation are at odds with the dual virtue of, of control and, and total knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, we find ourselves now back in this in this situation where 
to the extent that you can scale up and look at civilizations, uh, institutions, organiza- you know, organizations, religions, etc., as entities in their own right, which I think it's been fairly well established uh, that, that these things are, whether or not they're like, you know, self-aware is kind of beside the point. Like a slime mold is still a, an intelligent creature of some kind. Um, Mm -hmm. we live inside the body of these, of these very, very large, hard to recognize and impactful agencies that, uh, that shape our lives. And so we're not at the top of the food chain and we haven't been for as long as we've been living in, in community with one another. And we're just starting to become aware of that. And it's very, very unsettling, but it's actually, um, for some perhaps something of a relief because we're no longer capable of lying to ourselves about our priority or exceptionalism about our, you know, our place on the top of this imagined ontology. Oh, there's still some people telling themselves some. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Don't get me wrong. They, I mean, like you know, Doug Rushkoff has written extensively about the billionaire attempt to you know transcend death and escape the planet, and you know, the you know, it's this a, is it's, very much it's, going it's, on. But it's a it's a it's a position of privilege to lie yeah. to yourself about this, and eventually, right. living in a gated neighborhood doesn't solve crime. It just yeah. it just actually quantitatively. You know, a, a a society obsessed with the you know private security actually makes produces more crime. So you know what you're really only doing yeah. is you're just kicking the ball down the street, but it's snowballing and it's going to be bigger when it gets back to you. So yeah. I mean, I actually feel uh, a certain amount of like sympathy and and pity for people like Bezos and, and Musk that think that are that are like privileged enough to think that they don't have to address this kind of thing well it's happened through history of of people having you know elaborate tombs made with all of you know throw throw my servants in with me when when i die because my favorite servants put them in there too so they can go with me until the afterlife and i i mean i think that there's a part of remembering the the beginning of the of the pandemic i mean it was like the only people flying around were rich people flying around in private jets. And it was like, it was like they were on vacation, just could not, would not be told that there was some communal need or, or desire or something that, that would restrict it. You know, people that were used to having uh, unrestricted lifestyles and it, it uh, drove um, people like Musk kind of, a little loopy in my opinion but what about what about um i i always i i often wonder with with kind of so obviously technology's advancing at an outrageous speed when you're thinking about something like the internet if you think about something like the street that you live on you think well Really? We haven't 
uh, we don't have better roads by now. We don't uh, like we don't have like solar power sidewalks or something. That's like uh, why why isn't this moving along fast enough? And uh, that seems like I mean, if I look back forty years by any of those standards, it's like well, my hometown is just more populated, and maybe they've made. Not maybe they have made some advances in um, like the, the the way in which we regulate how buildings are made and and uh, and and tools have gotten better and it doesn't take as long to build a roof and 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 things like that. There's there's these small changes, but those aren't those aren't feeling like whoa this is out of control you know you go on the internet and you're like my god this is moving so fast but the thing about this this is what i'd like you to i I would like some um, of your thoughts on at the rate in which let's let's just keep it really simple at the at the rate in which computers your phone the internet is advancing going on checking social media uh, oh, cool new filter all of the time wow i can uh look like freddie mercury or whatever instantly how does it do that wow uh but at the same time that it's doing that it's they're also innovating um they're innovating user friendly it, it, it's it's also adapting itself to us anyway. I don't know how this fucking computer works. All that I know is I'm looking at you right now. I'm talking to you. I guess it's like shooting around in satellites or something like that. Stuff that I haven't really looked into. Don't need to know. And from from the time I started doing remote podcasts to uh, you know two years later this it's only i only use better programs more intuitive programs that are more reliable uh i i i seemingly understand social media a little quicker than i did before because i think some of the bugs have been worked out and so it, it, what what's your take on that with it with the kind of fears of a singularity and computers getting so smart but at the same time aren't they it, it isn't isn't the way in which we are um, uh, uh, figuring out how to blend um, internet advances into our intuitions also advancing? Yes, but I mean, again, like I think everything you just said really just strengthens the point that. In a world of nested systems within systems interacting with systems within systems, not everything is updating at the same speed. And again, to tip my hat to Doug Rushkoff, whose book Present Shock largely inspired Future Fossils podcast, the pace at which certain of these systems, you know, the digital world, are capable of scaling gives us this illusion that. Or, you know, like the economy grows and grows and grows. And so economists tend to think that they're like the only people in the world that think the economy can grow forever. 
you know, that it can just keep growing and, and not only keep growing, that it can grow faster and faster and faster and that people are going to continue to be able to make sense of it and participate in it. And there's not enough people. We need more of them. Right. I mean, we're, and, and, we're having and, a people shortage. Well, I mean, we, we may actually be having a people shortage here soon. I, I, I just spoke with yeah. Parag Khanna. Um, I go uh, back and forth with that stuff. I don't mean to derail you. No, 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 no. But I mean, that's a good, that's a good, that's, an, that's to the point, which is that actually the demands of living in this very, very fast paced environment the costs of living in this environment, not just uh, attentionally, but in terms of brick and mortar stuff, you know, rent. Fewer and fewer young people in the developed world, this world of the tolerance of ambiguity and, and you know, free cultural expression and so on, uh, are capable of affording to have children. I mean, I also think about this in terms of, you know, I used to live in Austin, Texas, and and as the real estate goes up and up and up and up, the thing that made the town valuable, which was its culture of musical performance, becomes impossible because venues can no longer sell enough beer to keep the doors open. And mm -hmm. if you're optimizing for real estate speculators, then the then everything parcel of land in downtown Austin would be better off as condos. And so at some point, uh, you know, you've, you know, in much the same way that, you know, we optimized for efficiency with just in time supply networks, you get to a point where, uh, you have no slack left in the system at all and things break. There are perks to living in this thing, but actually, as I sit here enjoying this bubble tea, I I think about diaper shortages and, you know, or, or yeah. you know, the, like five, six, seven dollar gas. And, you know, it's just if people are being hoovered up into these megalopolises for economic opportunity, but then, you know, you, the, the research on the, the net cities as networks shows that the majority of the benefit, the per capita benefits of cities is actually only enjoyed by the top decile economically mm -hmm. and that for everyone else it's harder. And, but what you've done is you have done something akin to uh, you know, big agriculture decimating biodiversity, except you've done it with human culture. And so we're on very, very thin topsoil right now in a number of different ways as a civilization. And we are, uh, humans are genetically very, very homogeneous. I mean, you know, any human is more genetically alike any other human then chimps are alike the chimps on the other side of the river. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you get into, this is why, you know, plagues tear through us the way that, that they, they can and do. And, and so, yeah, it's just a question of us finding our, you know, it's not that, I mean, certain things will continue to, I think there is a, a, an overall trend toward 
the evolutionary process finding, you know, faster, smarter, slicker, more efficient stuff. But there's always this countervailing pressure of uh, those forces undermining themselves. And I think that I basically just been on a rant about this for half an hour that, that we will, that, you know, when, when a historian William Irwin Thompson, who, who rage quit MIT in the 1970s to form an interdisciplinary think tank about the emergence of planetary culture, the Lindisfarne Association, I will send you the Lindisfarne tapes, which are all of the talks that they were doing in the 70s at the EF Schumacher Center for New Economics. It's an extraordinary series of conversations that I binged while on festival tour in 2013 all over the country. And, and even in 1973-74, Bill Thompson was talking about the end of technocratic globalism and the emergence of a post-civilizational, high, highly technological planetary village. Not the global village, not a flat world. You know, but a, a very, very heterogeneous patchwork world that much more closely resembles the world that we had, only now it's also hyper-connected to itself in, in a bunch of interesting new ways, and it's augmented in, in a lot of new interesting ways. And, you know, I think, uh, I don't know if you've watched Star Trek, but Star Trek Picard had a little bit of this going on where one of the, you know, one of the characters is basically like living in a camper in the desert, you know, but she's got like a food mm. fabricator and all of this stuff. And I think that that's, yeah, it's, it's what we're seeing is, is it's over it, all of the categories are getting remixed, challenged, overturned. And so in overturning nature and, and culture, uh, as well as many other things, we, are going to find like, I don't know. Do you, do you ever take the train? Um, I used to the Amtrak. You mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't travel anymore, but I used to anytime I could. And in the U S it's really rough because it's, it's, if you want to get to a to B, you often have to take a wild detour through Z to L to over here. And it uh, it can add days onto a trip. Yeah. But, uh, I love it when I've when I've been in Europe. I've loved I've loved taking them, and sometimes. By the way, I'm a shout out to Amtrak if you can find a train that actually makes sense. Because at least in my experience of it, I loved it. And sometimes there's like even there's one of the cars they'll have like guided tours and stuff like that. They'll do like weird shit like that. It's fun. It's uh, it's it's a little cheaper. There's free internet. The seats are more comfortable than a plane. I hate flying so much, so uncomfortable. Anyway, your point was point being that while this is not the case in Australia, I took the train from from Melbourne to Sydney in Australia. That was awesome. Um, oh, that's a, how long was that? Twelve hours. Twelve hours. Yeah. It was and nailed it. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, coming in 
from the West into Sydney through all of that lush tropical stuff. But, um, but in the United States, yeah, amazing. uh, everywhere I, I take the train in the U S maybe a full half of the people on the train are Mennonites. And really, yes. And this is the point is that, you know, they're speaking this, uh, Germanic language that is kind of sort of German, kind of Dutch, kind of English. It's not, you know, and, and they're inhabiting the same space that we are. It's 2022. They're living in the same year, you know, but the way that, uh, they've managed to partition themselves from the network is of note. And, and, you know, and so, you know, like it's interesting because like, you know, trains rail has to be laid through a landscape in a particular way. And so the, you know, when the interstate system was set up in the United States, uh, a lot of the train towns were, were, uh, basically siphoned out. Like they, 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 they dried up because it was different land. Cars could get into different spots and different opportunities. And yet those trains, you know, those trains, uh, the rail that still exists in that network are um, so there. It's, it's, it's just like you. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that there's something very ancient future about all of this. You know that that we're still going to be milking cows in 200 years. You know, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, we we think all the action is happening over here but like you know for instance um the united states now is not north versus the south it's urban versus rural Mm -hmm. right and so every you know the 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 transformation that uh we're all navigating is one in which all of us are uh, patchy, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's one directional too. Is a, a, a lot of times uh, it'll either be a city or a rural person that's never spent any time in either of the other one. Um, but if anything, usually r- rural people will integrate into the city and understand some of the needs that are there. And then the people that left behind that just don't go into the big city at all don't really totally understand what it's like, but still <laughs> um, are, you know, a, a part of the agreed upon laws and systems that that are imposed on say big city life and same with same with city people going and imposing things on rural people with uh, say agricultural restrictions or something like that where we're like hey we need to stop all this pollution or global warming or whatever and 
whatever farmers just figure it out and then farmers that are putting fertilizer uh into streams like not knowing it in wisconsin or something like that in mississippi don't understand how that's impacting fishing in the gulf coast you know and then are expected to pay how seventy thousand dollars or something to um put in some drainage system or that they don't ever have to see the impact of it's it is uh yeah it is it's it is patchy and and it's a mess i i want to do uh here's a little kind of side note thing to close on just to because i want i want to plug your shows and everything how did how did you go from um a paleontologist uh, being interested in paleontology wearing a dinosaur shirt to this day how did you go from that to getting so interested in the future and these really large abstract ideas and technology and and everything else and then and then what can people what uh what podcasts would you um uh, what do you recommend for a given if you had to take your podcast and then choose a specific demographic if there's two different demographics describe those as well mm. okay so my torrid tale is that I encountered a paper on the evolution of syntactic communication my senior year of my undergraduate. And that paper by Martin Nowak, uh, led by Martin Nowak, who I think he was at, he was at Princeton at the time, uh, was about how if you're apes living in society and and you are communicating using single utterances, then you get to a point where you can't remember as many words as you need to actually navigate the society. You know, you, there's too many things to remember there's too there's there's too much stuff and they call it the error catastrophe so you start misassigning labels and so it becomes easier to use a recombinant you know like a, a multiplier rather than a purely additive approach and this shows up all the time. This is the evolution of sex. You know, sex appears when, you know, it's like an additive strategy no longer works. So we're going to, we're going to exchange things. And uh, so that that's what lifted me out of paleontology basically was, was thinking about the evolution of life and mind in terms of the way that ecosystems and, and the beings in them are interacting with one another and understanding one another. And as far as the podcast part, I would 
hasten to, I think it was episode 184 of Future Fossils with Henry G, the senior editor of Nature. Adamani is one of my favorite guests last oh, year. Oh, God, he's wonderful. Henry G. He, he is uh, an incredible communicator. I can't I can't believe he uh, he doesn't do more speaking and things for for a living. Yeah, no, he's, he's superb. He wrote this book about a brief history of life on Earth and lays it out as the ongoing exploration of this manifold of possibility. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you've, you know, you've got to invent photosynthesis. You've got to invent the ability to, to, to digest lignin. You've got to invent flight. And, and so we move into more and more dimensional spaces over the course of the history of things. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very juicy. I don't know. Okay. Well, then the second part of the question, what is, uh, you're going to encourage a person to either listen to Future Fossils or the Complexity Podcast. Why should uh, a person give one of those? Or if you do, or if you want to mention a couple of your favorite episodes from each one you want to do that is that a better way of going about it sure how do you want to plug yourself (laughs) oh man i mean i mean i have like i you know i have two podcasts they have different they maybe have two more like dissimilar vibes than your two podcasts have so like like i'm i'm specifically reaching two different demographics um, kind of, and trying to like use one to lead another one into over here. So anyway, I'll let you plug yourself. Thanks. Um, I would say that the the future fossils tends to be a bit more concerned about questions of the soul. Okay. You know that which cannot be captured, quantified and understood, you know, I'm, I'm staring into the abyss and I'm okay with that. And however, you know, the abyss is evident in the complexity of all of these formal rigorous approaches and the worlds they disclose as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. favorite episodes, I mean, if thinking about this stuff really strokes you, I would say for complexity podcasts, go to episode 37 with Lawrence Gonzalez, who wrote a, a, a book on, uh, survival what it means to be like like what determines who lives and who dies in a, a scary situation but then he followed it up with a book about trauma uh, surviving survival about how you get on with the rest of your life and that's the trauma is you know things have changed faster than you can adapt to them 
Mm-hmm. And three things come out of that in his study. He says, creativity, you know, writing, uh, that's one. Travel and the service. And so if you think about like religion, you know, you get like the, the archaeological origins of religion as an adaptation to the trauma of the hardship of the conditions of early hominin existence. The pilgrimage is about that process of self-transformation, you know, and, and, and service and, and so on. And so it's Lawrence Gonzalez is extremely erudite and wonderful. And I think that's a fabulous episode to focus on. And then as far as future fossils is concerned, I might point people toward Tyson Yunkaporta. I think he was 172 because he's an Appalachian clan, Aboriginal Australian. But, you know, if you were to run into him in a uh, high V or, or Kroger's or whatever, you'd, you'd, just, you'd look like a white guy. And mm-hmm. he works at the Indigenous Knowledge Systems. He, he directs the Indigenous Knowledge Systems Lab in Melbourne. And uh, there they explore the ways that very, very ancient knowledge systems dating back 50, 60,000 years have managed to persist, you know, w- ways to mnemonically encode information in the body, you know, to, to, to map the body to the land. And I think that's all extremely important. And that's an instantiation of this kind of like thinking across scales mm. that uh, we're, we're performing here. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, Michael Garfield, everybody, thank you once again for being on the show. You were great as always. Wonderful to have you. Check out Future Fossils. Check out the Complexity Podcast. You're great, my friend. Can't wait to be on your show uh, as well uh, soon, which uh, Ramin and I will be on Future Fossils very soon. Indeed. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>